everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Thurston County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! everybody welcome to real hawk talk this is uh episode 25 uh of the real hawk talk show big milestone thanks for everyone that's joining and uh we got a really cool show tonight uh among uh just our normal group we've got evan we've got jeff simmons um we're going to have uh will um is going to join here in a bit and uh I think maybe we're most excited, no offense, Jeff, but um, you know, we're most excited by the fact that um, we're gonna have Rob Staten of uh, the Seahawks draft blog join in just a few minutes and uh, gonna grill him about a bunch of stuff around the Seahawks and the draft. There's a fantastic championship game in the NCAA, you know, uh, college football we just watched, a lot of prospects in there we'll talk about. Um, and then we're gonna open it up for questions um, that some of the patrons have. So, um, you know, before we, uh, we, we get into all that, uh, Jeff, uh, what was your, what was your impression of, uh, that championship game on, uh, on Monday? The amount of talent, the amount of like, talent in that game to me was off the charts. To me, that really jumped out was like the amount of freshmen that Alabama had that were like a left tackle quarterback running back and these guys look like they're pro ready talents you just don't see that much talent on one field in college football that looked like a pro game and like the amount of the speed and the, the quality of players from both those teams were amazing yeah it, it was it was great and i i see that rob has joined us um uh rob uh welcome to the show man yeah thanks for having us guys it is um two minutes past three in the morning here so um Good morning. How in, the, <laughs> how in the world did you agree to join this show at three in the morning? Yeah, I don't sleep. Um, I think the British Prime Minister gets on average about four hours sleep a night, and I probably get um, three and a half. So um, with the job and the blog and two kids, including the one-year-old, I, I generally don't sleep that much. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're really excited to have you. Um, I, we've got a bunch of folks that have joined that have a bunch of questions for you. But um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, first, before we get into the draft stuff, I know everyone's excited to talk about that. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started with the Seahawks draft blog and, and how a guy uh, across the pond got into the Seahawks in the first place? Yeah, I used to live in Vancouver. So um, I, I had an interest in the NFL, but had no reason to um, follow one team in particular. And then me and my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, we went to Seattle and we went to watch the Mariners play. 
they played the uh, Toronto Blue Jays and lost 10-0. And as we were leaving um, Safeco Field, we walked past CenturyLink and we said, or I said, I need to come back here to go to a game there. Um, we managed to work out so that we would go to the Green Bay game on Monday Night Football when it snowed um, during the 2006 season. And as soon as I went to that game, I just thought, this is amazing. This is, you know, I'd never been to an NFL game live before and just became hooked with the team immediately. Um, we, we moved back to the UK shortly after. Um, I remember watching the Dallas playoff game, you know, with the Tony Romo fumble back in England. Um, but from that point there, I just, I just became obsessed with the, with the team and, you know, pretty much since then, I've been back to Seattle every year um, to go and watch the Seahawks play. And it just became a real sort of like passion for me as well. So um, in terms of the blog, it was it was after the the home area kind of um, faded and, and Jim Bora was about to come in and the team was going to pick fourth overall. And there wasn't really anything that would bring all of the draft coverage together so every mock draft so if rob rang had done a mock draft for example or the like mel kuyper done a mock draft it was a good place to sort of bring it all together so that seahawks fans could just see what people were projecting and see who they were going to pick it what was quite an exciting time the seahawks hadn't picked that early for a long time um and that's kind of how the blog started and that's nine years ago it's amazing um it's it's uh, grown and it's grown and bound since then. Um, I know people, uh, it's all over Reddit. People are, are reading it all the time. People uh, really look to you for, for insights into what the CX should be doing in the draft. I have to ask though, if 2009 was the first time that you started paying attention, uh, who did you project to the Seahawks at number four? And how did you feel about their pick immediately after? Uh, it's interesting because that I really wanted the Seahawks to draft um, of all people Michael Crabtree. Um, of course, he was not the most favourable uh, prospect um, in the end for the Seahawks, and in particular Richard Sherman. But um, I, I kind of felt like Matt Hasselbeck needed that. You know, needed a great receiver um, to sort of help the last few years of his career, and that would have been the way to go. Um, when they actually picked Aaron Curry, I remember watching the draft. Um, and just letting out a huge scream of, no, really didn't want them to draft Aaron Curry. Um, he just felt like a really average player. And um, <laughs> that was sort of the first big disappointment of uh, following the Seahawks in the draft. They drafted Aaron Curry. And of course, <laughs> so it proved it was not the most inspired pick. But um, looking back on that draft, there was there were very few hits in sort of the top 15. So, um, yeah, it wasn't well, a great Definite credibility, um, you know, if you run in a blog and you came out against the Aaron Curry draft pick ahead of when it was made, uh, there's a reason you got a lot of people following you. So that, that's awesome. Um, I have a couple other questions for you. I know other people do too. Um, but Evan, um, uh, anything uh, off the top that you wanted to ask Rob before we let him kind of go through some of the, the initial thoughts he's got? Yeah, Rob, obviously the hot question on Seahawks Twitter is, would you be okay with the Seahawks drafting a running back in the first round? What are your thoughts? Uh, personally, I don't have a problem with it, but it has to be the right player and it has to be in the right range. So what you've got in this draft for me is that you've got Saquon Barkley who's going to go very, very early and then there's a huge drop-off to the next best running back. But then you have a cluster of running backs probably from the range of about 30 to 50 where you could easily see a whole host of names go in that range, you know, a, a huge number of names. 
So I think the best thing for the Seahawks is at number 18, you're probably not going to get value. You're certainly not going to get value at number 18. Um, but it works out quite well. The Seahawks don't have second and third round picks. Perhaps they can move back a little bit, um, move back into the 30s, but with either one or two trades to get into a range where maybe it would be more palatable to take a running back and also acquire some extra picks in the second and third round. Um, to do that, then it works works out pretty well. So they can do what they need to do in terms of getting a running back in there, but they can also replenish some of the lost stock that they've got. That's That's kind of how I view it. So say the Seahawks actually stay and stick at 18, what position or player would you prefer? If they stay at 18, I mean, again, it, it, it really depends what happens over the next few weeks. I mean, someone like, I, I personally believe that there's maybe one running back in Ronald Jones II who could possibly be value at that point. Because to me, he just looks like Jamal Charles. And if you are going to get Jamal Charles for the next few years, then that would be worth having. If you were going to go away from the running back position, the great strength of this draft, apart from running back and quarterback, I think is defensive line and front seven talent. So mm-hmm. you could get a really good linebacker in that spot. You know, I could throw a few names out there, but there's a huge number of linebackers that are going to go in the in the first two rounds and defensive linemen as well. There's, there's a lot of options there. It's interesting. Yeah, currently, if I'm looking at your site uh, in your mock draft, um, you've got Ronald Jones, uh, the second, going to the Seahawks. And you've, you've talked a lot about his similarities to Jamal Charles. You've also talked about the fact that he doesn't really fit the profile of the types of running backs the Seahawks have drafted so far. They've gone a little larger. Um, so, so is that you saying you think that they will pick him? Or is that you saying that that's who you would pick if you were in the Seahawks? Uh, I, I think it's it's me sort of just saying this is what I think that ultimately they're going to do, which is take a running back probably with their first pick. But because that, and the, at this point, it's it's very early to start doing loads of different trades in mock drafts and stuff like that. I don't think they will. I personally don't think they'll take a running back at number eighteen. I think they'll they'll definitely trade back, um, and that's what. And then they will get into a position where they will feel more comfortable taking someone uh, who plays that position. But I, I do think they will go running back early. Um, I just don't quite think it is it is going to be number 18. Unless, because he's, the thing about Ronald Jones, is you mentioned there, that he doesn't really fit their profile and he doesn't. You know, you, historically, if you look over the years, they've drafted very explosive running backs who are about 220 pounds, about 5'10", and he's about 6 foot and 200 pounds, which, you know, his his it's not just that he looks almost identical. I posted two videos of Jamal Charles when he was at Texas and one of... Um, Ronald Jones the second when he was at USC, um, and they look almost identical to each other in terms of size, in terms of characteristics, in terms of um, the kind of plays that they make. They play tougher than they are. And we know that John Schneider liked Jamal Charles. We know that they spoke to Jamal Charles a year ago about potentially coming to Seattle. I just wonder whether or not they see a situation where they could put him in as a almost like their answer to Alvin uh, Kamara at, at New Orleans and pair him with a back, whether it's Chris Carson or someone that they pick up in free agency and try to mimic what New Orleans have done. Um, so, Rob, and then, and then Jeff, I'm going to throw to you if you have some questions. But, um, you know, you started talking about the strength of this draft. Uh, say a little bit more about, you know, not just the first round, but you're trying to set up this draft um, and maybe be hopeful that there's a fourth round pick um, that makes a difference. You know, what, what kind of positions are deepest for the, for the Seahawks fans to think about? 
Well, as mentioned, I think that the front seven is going to be the place where you can get some some good value here. So uh, I think in the fourth round, you could look at someone like, if you can't get to Lorenzo Carter in the first two rounds at Georgia, who's a really good linebacker who can do sort of the, the Sam Leo thing with, with Bruce Irvin. If you aren't going to be in range for Tremaine Edmonds or Roquan Smith or somebody like that, then someone like Marquise Haynes at Ole Miss is, is someone who maybe there in the fourth round has had some um, some good production over the years. He's a little bit undersized, but moves around. He's very flexible. That's the kind of the player you might be able to get in the fourth round who could come in and have an impact there. Um, if you didn't go running back early, there will be running backs available in the fourth round. It's just that I, for me, the real the best ten are kind of going those are going to go in those first two rounds there. And you know, I, I would imagine that there's there's not good cornerbacks in terms of the um, the front end and, and the secondary talent in this draft is is not going to be strong. It's it's not a strong draft for safeties. Um, I think it's going to cause a real problem for teams because teams are generally looking for. Uh, cornerbacks and safeties early in the draft. I think very few are going to go in those first two rounds, but that could be an area where the Seahawks can find one of their body types. You know, when we get to the combine, we'll, we'll see if there's more of those available. And tight end is not going to be a, a position that goes early. I'd be surprised if there's a tight end that goes in the first two rounds. When you get to sort of the fourth, fifth round, and you've got those, you know, George Kittle's had a really good start in San Francisco. See if you can find one of those kind of athletes who emerge from the combine who you can take in that range as well. Yeah, Jeff, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're up. So, so what 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 are what is on your mind when you're thinking about the draft and the Seahawks? Well, the question I would have for Rob is: John Schneider's kind of in a unique position where, because of all, all pretty much all the quarterbacks declared this year, so they're in a position where they have to balance. They might get a top 15 player on their board, given that they're picking as high as they've picked probably since the Bruce Irvin pick. But with the Dwayne Brown trade and the Sheldon Richardson trade, how do you balance? the need to get an impact player because they've traded down for McDowell and Effetti and they haven't got quite the return versus the need to recapture those draft selections. How do you balance that as a GM? It's, it's, I think it would be so much easier to um, look at this draft if they hadn't lost their second and third round pick because that would make so much sense. You're 18, you're picking a lot higher than you have in the past. Just go and get the best player that's on the board. And it may be that there's just a really good player there that they feel like they can't trade down. I mean, look at Earl Thomas in, in, 2010. I don't think they, um, I, I don't think they were ever going to trade down as soon as Earl survived past Philadelphia at 13, where they trade up. So there might come a similar situation where there's a player there that they just think we we have to have this guy. This guy can be a, a cornerstone for us for the next five or six years. But if that player isn't there, and looking at the defensive talent in this draft, there's one or two overrated players like Derwin James for me is, is particularly overrated. I think a lot of Seahawks fans say, hey, what a great chance to replace Cam Chancellor. I'm not sure that the Seahawks would go in that direction in the first round. Um, and if, if, like I say, a lot of that front-end talent, if Clellan Farrell at, at Clemson is long gone, if Vita Villa at Washington's long gone, if Tremaine Edmonds, who's fantastic at Virginia, Virginia Tech, is long gone, if Roquan Smith is gone, then you're getting into a position there where you're saying, okay, you know, the best six or seven defensive players in this draft, they're off the board. What do we do? And the fact that you haven't got those second and third round picks and it gives you a chance to move back a little bit, address what Pete Carroll has kind of admitted is their biggest need in terms of repairing the running game and then get into a range where you feel more comfortable doing it. And, even, and let's just say that they traded back considerably. Let's say the last time a team traded from 18 was um, five years ago when San Francisco traded with Dallas, went from 18 to 31. Let's say the Seahawks make a move like that. If they could get a second pick, a second round pick, or a third round pick, quite early in the in the draft, 
then it might enable them to say, we're not going to go running back early. For example, there's a guy at Georgia who is absolutely fantastic called as Isaiah Wynn, who is their left tackle, but is going to move inside to guard. He's one of the most consistent and structured players that you're going to see in this draft. Whoever gets Isaiah Wynn is going to be incredibly happy. If the Seahawks could get him and plug him in at left guard next to Dwayne Brown, then get a running back with their second pick, then they would feel a lot better, I think, about their running game. Yeah, I was looking at this, and and folks, we're going to start opening it up for Q&A for, for patrons here in just a minute. So if you haven't already, please open up the group chat and and uh, raise your hand in there. Let me know that you have a question, and, and I'll kind of call people in order. But um, So I was looking at the, the, the draft point chart, Rob, and, um, you know, I, it's hard for me to imagine the Seahawks trading down big for a lot of the reasons you've mentioned, and I think others. I'm not part of team trade down. I... I I think that they should stick at 18 and and get the best player that they can get. But uh, I'm interested in some something like Buffalo, who has two first round picks at 21 and 22. And that, you know, if they traded down four picks, that's roughly worth a you know a high fourth, um, maybe a low third, depending on on who has it. Um, you know, is that is that the type of trade that you think um, is likely? Or, or if you had to bet, do you think they're going to stand pat? No, I think there's a lot of options. By the way, I've not got my camera on. Do you want me to switch it on? Yeah, sure. There we go. Can you see me? Not yet. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Hey, so now you can put a it, – it's got a 3 a.m. face to go with a 3 a.m. That's very good. It looks like my, uh, my eight, you know, 7 p.m. face. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of options. So one of the things I was looking about, I was just messing around with a few, um, projections yesterday was if Buffalo, for example, want to make a big move, this is going to get quite convoluted. So strap yourself in. So, um, if Buffalo wanted to move up to get a quarterback, because I think the fact that they tried Nate Peterman during the season suggests that they uh, uh, sort of seen what they had before making a kind of a ball move, would they be willing to trade all the way up with somebody to give up their two picks they have back to back and with that team then trading down having gone let's say it was cleveland at number four for example i i guess they're going to be quite uh, quite creative in this draft class let's say that they moved down from four to 21 22 um in order to get that extra first round pick but when they're at 21 feel like hey we just love to be a few extra spots further up um so to go from sort of 22 to 18 maybe to make sure that they get a really good defensive player then you've dropped back a little bit they have got so many picks in rounds two and three that are quite early. In order to do that, they may even move up from 31 and have, as crazy as it would sound, four first-round picks. But if there's any team that needs four first-round picks, it's probably the Browns. So are they going to be quite aggressive in that point, move and manipulate around the board? There's a connection between John Schneider and John Dorsey in Cleveland. Could they essentially move from 18 to 21, 22, or 33 and get a nice pick from the Browns who've got so much stock to do that to enable them to do what they need to do and then move back? That's just one of the things they could do. Buffalo could move up. I think the fact that Drew Locke, he's the Missouri quarterback who's decided not to declare, is a big thing because um, now you're going to have to wonder, is that going to push Lamar Jackson up? Are teams, uh, From what I've read uh, um, in various places, I think teams generally consider Lamar Jackson to be a second-round pick, but he could move as time goes on into sort of that fourth, fifth quarterback that could go in the first round. So is that something that teams are going to look at? And does that make number 18 valuable? Perhaps not because the, the next two teams after Seattle are Dallas and Detroit. So they're not going to be really in the market for a quarterback. So they might have to get a little bit creative there and they might have to do multiple trades in order to get the kind of stock that they're looking for. Interesting. Yeah. 
Well, uh, are you ready to, to open up the floor here for some uh, some questions? Yeah, go for it. All right. Um, so first, we've got Colin uh, Lundstrom. Going to add you to the show here in a second, Colin. So if you can unmute yourself, um, and uh, go ahead and ask uh, ask Rob a question. Sure. Um, are there any guys in the first round where on the squad, they wouldn't be an immediate need, like say an inside linebacker where we have Bobby there or a safety where we have Earl there. Is there a, is there a position where a guy could drop and it's just too good to pass up? You got to take him regardless of who we have there. I'm curious what you think. Hey, Colin. Yeah, I think there's, there's definitely um, a guy at Ohio State called Billy Price. Now, I think he's going to go in the top 15. He's played center for Ohio State, but I think he, he could easily play left guard or right guard. And he is, in my opinion, the next sort of, he could be a third pouncy brother. He is he's exactly that type of player, almost identical size. If you listen to Urban Meyer talking about him at, um, at Ohio State, he speaks about him like he's his, his long lost son. Um, he thinks that he's like the best player he's ever coached and stuff like this. Um, he is incredibly you know, dedicated to football on top of the athleticism and the nasty attitude that he plays with. If if Price was there for the Seahawks at 18 and having the ability to really nail down an absolute stud at, on the interior line and not worry about that anymore, because that is that's been an issue over the years with the, uh, the offensive line. If they plugged him at left guard, for example, um, then, you know, you could be looking then at with Posick, with Britt and with him, feeling really good about that interior and the fact that he's played multiple positions and can play the guard spot and center. We know the Seahawks generally like those kind of versatile guys. I think if he was there at 18, it would make you pause for a moment and go, you know, this is a guy that could be with us for 10 years and, and just be yeah. a really solid pick. So that's something I think they might have to consider. Sweet. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Colin. Uh, if you have another question, just go ahead and add it to the group chat and we'll, uh, we'll get you back on. Um, Jose, I'm going to add you, and uh, you can ask a question for Rob. If you can unmute yourself or uh, type your question if you'd rather. No, Jose's working on it there. Cool. So while we're waiting for Jose to, to get either unmuted or uh, type his question in, um, just curious, you know, where, what do you see as the, the biggest need? Okay, Jose, you got yourself unmuted. You ready? Can't quite hear you, dude. Keep working on it. We can get you uh, get you in there. Well, if you want, maybe type your question in and I'll ask it for you. Um, what do you see as, as uh, the Seahawks' biggest need? Um, yourself, like based on what you see in this past season and, and what you see with the way the personnel is shaping up for next year. Oh. Jose, is that you? Sorry, I'm going to keep trying to get you in there. Can, can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Okay, Jose. Thank you. Sorry about that. I honestly wouldn't draft a running back in the first round just because there are so many running backs in this draft to take where you can take one a little later like say the 
for their fifth round like we like we did with Chris Carson. I would, however, take an offensive or defensive lineman specifically win from Georgia like you guys mentioned or the kid from the Alabama who was terrific in that game yesterday. So, yeah, that's just my twist. Yeah, Josie, I, th- I think it's I think it's a really fair point that you make. There, there are so many running backs in, the, in this draft that you know, waiting to take one is a distinct possibility, especially if there is somebody there, as we've talked about, who gets to 18, who you just feel like you, you can't pass on. And the interior, it's great, actually, that the Seahawks have traded for, for Dwayne Brown. This is not going to be a draft where a lot of offensive tackles go in the first round. If the Seahawks were still trying to fill a hole at left tackle, then it'd be a bit of a concern. If they have you know, the one position, because Luke Jokel's not worth time, wouldn't expect him to re-sign. If there's one position they're trying to fill again, it's that interior line. And there are a lot of options there. So on top of Billy Price, you've got... Quentin Nelson's going to go top 10, so he's not going to be there. But then you've got players like Isaiah Wynn that I mentioned. Uh, Frank Ragnow, at the, uh, who's the centre at Arkansas, but could probably play a bit of guard as well. You've got Braden Smith from Auburn, who's going to go in the first two rounds. You've got Will Hernandez at UTEP, who's probably going to go in the first two rounds. And you've got Coleman Shelton, who's the centre at Washington. Probably more of a centre than a guard. But you know, you've got a lot of players there who are going to go in the first two rounds. So I can see that the thought process, the only issue is, is that um, because they don't have those second and third round picks, it would be, let's just say that they took the offensive lineman um, in the first round and don't pick again until the fourth round. If they don't, if they miss out on on this great running back class, because a lot of them are going to go in the first two rounds, probably in the first 75 picks, you're going to see more running backs strapped than any other position. Um, then you get to the fourth round and you've just missed out on all of the options. And then, yeah, okay, you take another Chris Carson. But what if it ends up being more of an Alex Collins? What if it ends up being... Uh, more of a Robert Turbin rather than the greatness that you've got or the potential greatness that you've got from Carson. And then you might just be kicking yourself that you've not really addressed that running game. So this is the dilemma the Seahawks have put themselves in because they don't have the second and third round pick. They've got to be, they've got to think clever and they, they may have to concede that if there's a really good player at 18, they still have to move down to acquire those picks to fill the two or three needs that they have in this team because 18 and then waiting to the middle of the fourth, that's a long wait. Yeah, great question, Jose. Thank you. So uh, on that point and what I'd started to kind of ask Rob, I mean, like, what are the biggest needs you see for this team um, uh, based on what you've seen of the team this year and where you see them going next year? I think one of the biggest needs is uh, edge rush, um, because if they if they do move on from Michael Bennett and if there is going to be this kind of sweeping change that people expect if Cliff Averill retires or if he's no longer with the team, then you, you're putting a lot on Frank Clark and potentially Dion Jordan. If, I can remember watching the Seahawks in, in, before Bennett and Averill, and we always talked about Chris, Chris Clemens was the pass rush, really. You know, you put everything on, on Chris to to get the production and he was good for, you know, 10 to 12 sacks every year, but you, it was all on one guy and there was a real need to go and get more to help him. So then Bruce Irving came in and then you got Bennett and Abel coming in. And if Bennett and Abel are going to move on, they're going to have to find options there. Now it's the one position this team has done a really good job at finding value in, whether it's in the free agency, what they did with those two guys, or whether it's sort of finding that Clark in, in round two and, and finding guys who can contribute to the pass rush. So are they going to do that again? 
or is it going to become more of a pressing need? And there are some edge rushers in this class that they might look at. Um, they have, I can remember uh, Pete a year ago saying that they needed young youth at linebacker and that he felt that was a, it's kind of a surprising thing that he said because everyone knew that they needed a cornerback and, and secondary depth. Everybody knew that they uh, needed to, to bolster the offensive line. Um, a lot of people thought pass rush could have been another one and they selected Malik McDowell, but nobody kind of really pointed at the linebacker position and they, they didn't draft a linebacker last year. They, they brought in the likes of Will Hoyt and Garvin and people like that. Um, so that wasn't really, the youth at linebacker wasn't really addressed and this is a really good draft for young linebackers. So that might be a position that they they go there as well. The offensive line, you, you, you've got to keep building that until you get it right, I guess. And, and of course, the running back position, which you know I, I feel is going to be a talking point throughout this this draft process, you know, whether or not when they should take one early and who they should take is going to be a, a, a talking point for everybody for the next few weeks. Yeah, makes sense. I, I think uh, we've got a question from Bing uh, Clark, whose microphone isn't working that well, so I'm going to ask it for him. Um, he His question is with Graham, uh, Jimmy Graham and Luke Wilson possibly both leaving. They're both unrestricted free agents. Um, what, if any, options do you see at tight end? I know you mentioned that you don't see them as maybe a early round picks, but, but who are some players that you like and what kind of tight ends are they? The big problem in this draft class with tight ends is that none of them are very good blockers. And I think if the Seahawks are going to take one in the first three rounds now, it's going to be somebody who can do a bit of everything. I think the Jimmy Graham experiment has, has kind of nudged them in that way. So whereas Nick Vanette, when they drafted Nick Vanette, they were kind of talking about how much how similar he was to Zach Miller and he could do some of those those duties there. And I think if they're going to draft one, then it's going to be another tight end like that as opposed to just a pass catcher. And when you look at people like Mark Andrews at Oklahoma, I know some people think he's going to go very early, but he just can't block. And he's he's not, he gets comparisons to Jason Witten, but he's, he's not. You know, he, on the very easy routes when he just sort of runs inside and they can put him on a linebacker, he, he makes a lot of catches with Baker Mayfield throwing in the football, but he doesn't have much variety to, to his production. And if you uh, notice in the game against Georgia, they tried to run the same route to him twice. The first time makes a big 20-yard completion, the second time gets picked off because Georgia sort of read it and knew what they were going to try and do with him. So I, I cannot imagine them drafting him. You've got Mike Jacecki at uh, Penn State, who's big, big target. But again, you know, he's, he's just... He's he's not the most physically gifted, and he's just not that exciting. And I, I find it very hard to get excited about him as a potential, you know, first three round pick. And then you've got the the guy at, at um, uh, the the smaller school guy, Dallas Goda, as well as who some people like. I'm just again, I I don't really get what the hype is there with him. So this is a really thin draft for tight ends. And providing they move on from Jimmy Graham, I think what they're more likely to do is maybe look into keeping Luke Wilson and then looking if they can find some value to make up for the, if they, they could do with somebody who can try and provide the red zone production at a fraction of the cost. So maybe someone like Austin Severian Jenkins can come in. He had a run of three games in a row where he had red zone touchdowns for the New York Jets and then it kind of tailed off a little bit. Is he somebody who could come in and maybe get you five or six red zone touchdowns next season at a much cheaper cost? That's the kind of thing I'd be looking at there. Um, so Will uh, just joined the show uh, of Rain City fame and uh, haven't had a chance to, to see if he had any questions for Rob. So um, Will, if you want to unmute and uh, uh, ask any questions you have. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys talked about it. I'm sorry I joined a little bit late tonight, but um, what are your thoughts on the quarterbacks coming out this year? The quarterbacks or the quarterbacks? Qu quarterbacks. QB. Um, QB, it is, um, uh, it's a good draft. So 
I think that you will find if you're a team looking for a quarterback in the first round, you will find something in one of these guys. Uh, Sam Donald's really creative. He's gonna he's gonna be a person that you're quite happy to uh, have as your franchise leader. May need a bit of time. I thought he was gonna go back to USC for that reason to just try and have more game experience. He's only really had a year and a half as the starter, but someone more I, I can imagine him going very early in the top five and someone feeling very happy about that. Josh Rosen, I think he's probably the best pure passer of this draft, but it's just the concerns about the character. But I find it really hard to talk about stuff like that because I've never met John Josh Rosen. Don't really know him. Don't know what he's like as a leader or whether or not he's somebody you could trust. But um, he's going to go very early. Jo um, Allen um, is Josh Allen at Wyoming. Is I, I thought he was awful to watch this year um, and, and was not remotely impressive. But there seems to be this buzz that uh, Dorsey at Cleveland likes him. And if that's true, you just wonder if they'll spend one of their two picks in the, in the top five on him as opposed to one of these other guys. And then maybe try and sign someone like Alex Smith to to sit Allen and let him sort of learn for a year the way that Patrick Mahomes did at Kansas City. That's what Dorsey, you know, he drafted Patrick Mahomes. So that was their plan there, whether Cleveland's going to go with something like that. Lamar Jackson, I really like. I can't believe that he doesn't get talked to a lot more than he does. Just a, He's kind of like a Michael Vick light, the way that he plays. Uh, and Baker Mayfield, I kind of like his, his cockiness a little bit and, and the way that he's developed this year. Um, I, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I mean, I, I, I do like the class. I'm kind of glad the Seahawks don't have to worry about these types of things. I'm, I'm quite happy that we have Russell, but um, I think there's at least going to be two or three of these guys who go on to be really good. Do you think, though, that, you know, with the Seahawks backup quarterback situation, that there are guys that they could consider spending a pick on, um, mm. you know, later? I think I, it's one of the big mysteries, really, because John Schneider, I think when he arrived, was kind of talking like you, you take one every year. <laughs> right, right. And they haven't done that at all. So um, I, I do think it's something that they should look at. Um, there is uh, a quarterback uh, possibly in the – you see, one or two of them haven't haven't declared because they weren't going to go as early as hoped. Uh, I mean, would, he, would they even look at someone like Luke Falk, for example, who's not had – the yeah, you know, he's, he's not had the, he started really well and looked as if he was going to move into sort of the, even the second round range. People were talking about that. I mean, Tony Paulina, a draft analyst, was talking about that. And I think Todd McShay was talking about the fact that he was kind of getting himself into the second round range and then it kind of fell apart a little bit. Um, but that could be somebody who could provide some value on day three who um, is not like Russell in any way whatsoever, but um, is somebody that down the line, if he got a bit of playing time in preseason, whatever, that could you know, there could be a team that would show interest in him eventually. So, and you know, they carried um, the the backup quarterback this year was not like Russell. So, would they carry a backup that they drafted who's not like Russell? So, Evan and Jeff, uh, question for you two that we'll then throw back to Rob. But um, hypothetically, Seahawks um, final day of the draft, um, their last two picks are a kicker and a punter. How do you feel about that? I bless the pick or the picks. I'm so down with that. Our special teams was a complete disaster. Oh my God. I, I fully endorse it. Fully endorse it. I have no problem wasting a couple sevenths with that. No problem whatsoever. How about you, Jeff? I love that guy with the glasses from Georgia. Hell yeah. You get him in the seventh round? <laughs> That's the question. So, so Rob, obviously, um, you know the the challenges the CX had a kicker uh, last year, and uh, you know the question is, 
do you spend draft capital on those positions? Um, we've laughed at teams that have done that in the past. Um, you look at a team like the Rams, they had all pro kicker, all pro punter. The kicker they spent a six round pick on, the punter was an undrafted free agent. So uh, what's your take, you know, what's your, what's your general draft philosophy about kickers and punters, you know? And, and you know, but then secondarily, you know, do you think there's anyone that Seahawks will be looking at in this draft? I think the one kicker that teams might think about drafting is Daniel Carlson at, um, at Auburn. He seems to have uh, to be the one that has been quite consistent and someone, someone that they might consider drafting in round seven. Uh, unfortunately, the Georgia kicker, I think he's only um, is he a redshirt sophomore. So, and you know, it'd be the, the boldest move. I mean, I guess he looks the part um, to uh, to declare as a redshirt sophomore uh, at kicker. That would be uh, that'd be quite unique. But um yeah, I, it's I, I'm I'm happy to do it, and they have to do it, really, don't they? I mean, if look at the kicking options at the moment; they they're pretty miserable. Um, the guy they brought in Myers is uh, statistically, I think, worse than Blair Walsh. So, do you really want to? And the one thing that the mistake they probably made there last year was they didn't really have much competition. Blair Walsh kind of was gifted the job very early in the process when we all kind of presumed that he was going to have to come in and fight for his job and compete and prove that he he warranted that position and in the end it just kind of ended up being the Blair Walsh show so this year it would stand to reason to have maybe two or three guys sort of really competing um for that job and and, and showing that they can be the guy personally I just really hope that if it's possible at all just go and get your answer to Robbie Gold just go and get somebody who you has done it as as produced has has got a lot of production and it's just sort of got ice in his veins and can kick 50 yard field goals to tie games and, and yeah. not and when and when i've traveled all the way to to seattle to watch them the lose to the redskins don't miss three field goals <laughs> oh man rob that was such a brutal game and and uh you deserve a lot of kudos i think you you donated four tickets um put them up for auction we worked together on that and made a great donation to ben's fund um with the proceeds so thanks for doing that that was awesome yeah it was great it was great it's a shame that they didn't win the game though <laughs> oh my gosh yeah that was a tough game to watch we, we've talked about that game more than probably anybody <laughs> wants to hear Evan is about to go apoplectic about it so. Feel the pain. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, I know you had another question. What, what did you want to ask? Uh, we, we had a big debate in our show last week and probably can't go five minutes on Seahawks Twitter without talking about this guy, but I want to know your thoughts on Tom Cable and kind of the prospects he's been developing, where the line stands. I know everyone's been refreshing Twitter nonstop to see Cable's data, so I want to know what you thought of him and kind of the players he's been going with the last couple of years. And if you still believe he's the guy to fix this O-line. I think, I think it'd be really hard for anybody to say that he's the guy right now. Um, Given that the Seahawks, it's, it's rare for a team as good as the Seahawks to specifically set out to do one thing more than anything other, which is run the football and fail to do it for back to back years and injuries and changes up front and just having a bad offensive line last year has not helped that. But he's the run game coordinator, and you'd be you wouldn't be doing your job properly if you went sort of seeing what else was out there. The only problem is is that, and this is kind of the issue that I have with the discussion, is when people say fire Tom Cable, I'm I'm kind of all like, yeah, okay, you know what, I'm not against that, but who comes in? And I I don't know what you guys think, but I, I don't really know any other offensive line coaches. It's not the kind of thing that I've spent a lot of time looking at. I haven't got a, a, a solution to this. I mean, the Seahawks might do, but you know, a year ago they fired the running backs coach. And 
the running backs like Thomas Rawls and Eddie Lacy just have horrible years. If they, you know, I, I, I know that some people will say, how much worse can it get um, if you moved on cable? But what if the guy coming in is just completely underwhelming. I mean, it'd be nice to be able to replace Tom Cable with someone who's got this proven ability at developing offensive lines. It's just that I, I don't know who that is. And um, as much as I'm receptive to change and open to that happening, because Tom Cable has not been able to get this running game going and they need to get it going, um, I don't know what the solution is. Yeah, I think <laughs> Nathan Ernst wishes he was on the show to uh, put his two cents in, but he's not. He's he's working or doing whatever. So um, generally speaking, I think the position is everyone's like, get rid of Tom Cable no matter what, um, Rob. And, and to your point, I think one of the things that is tough with change, especially on the offensive line, is look, when you're looking to replace a position and upgrade a position, either you've got an established guy in the NFL that you know you can bring in and you can recruit and add. A lot of those guys are already signed. Like they're, they're, if they're good, they're already part of a, an organization. Um, and then the other thing you do is you look at a college, you know, you look at the college ranks and someone that's up and coming, you bring them in. Well, one of the problems specifically with the offensive line is that we're hearing over and over again that offensive line is not being taught properly in college right now. It's a lot of spread offenses. It's a lot of different types of offensive line play than what's necessary in the NFL. And it's certainly not focused on run game um, in the same way in a lot of colleges. So um, I think that you're right, that it is going to be more challenging for the Seahawks to find a clear upgraded offensive line coach. I think most people's position is, can't get any worse. And I think, honestly, they're right. So um, I, I, I do think that that's part of what's going on here. Um, Ryan Cleveland's got a question, uh, one of the other Hawkblogger patrons. And for people that haven't um, joined uh, the patron program, it's great. It's easy. All proceeds go to Ben's Fund. We're, we're Hopefully, we're closing in on $20,000 donation this year. So um, we're going to have a lot of great stuff over the offseason to, to keep you engaged. Um, but, uh, you go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Hawkblogger, um, sign up there and, uh, you'll get access to a bunch of cool stuff among them is coming on and asking questions of folks like Rob Staten. Um, so Ryan asks, um, who is a low risk, high reward, late round guy that we should keep an eye on? Um, low risk. So I think, um, the name that uh, came up earlier was was Marquise Haynes, and I do think that he's people may be familiar with him because Ole Miss have had some strong years until this down year, and I think that he's somebody to keep an eye on. I think that the other name that I would suggest, if the Seahawks were going to draft somebody later on, and we're talking you know day three here, potentially round five six, who would be value, and you would be getting bang for your buck because he was injured for most of the year. I know that's not <laughs> not the great start there, especially because he's a running back as well. So that's the problem the Seahawks have had. But there was a running back called Cameron Petway at Auburn. He was meant to be the guy this year. He is physical, tough. He's kind of like Eddie Lacy was before Eddie Lacy got bad. And um, he, he was coming into the year, he was the one that I kind of expected to be tracking the most and sort of thinking this is a guy who's going to move up the boards and, and look really good. It never really got going for him. And then Kerryon Johnson took over and, and showed what um, he was capable of. And he's probably going to go in the second round now. 
Um, but Cameron Petway has declared for the draft as well. He's he's actually going to turn pro. He made that decision at the same time as Kerryon Johnson. And I think if the Seahawks were going to take a chance on somebody on day three who's got day two talent, who's going to fall a little bit in this draft because of the, the depth and because of his injuries, then I think that Cameron Petway is someone to keep an eye on. Cool. Uh, now we've gone through a bunch of the, the patron questions. There are actually some other questions um, in the chat uh, offline. Someone was asking about Arden Key. Um, and what your thoughts are on him as a fit for the Seahawks. Yeah, Arden Key is very, very talented. So if anybody who saw him play uh, a year ago will will know what he's about. He had one bad game against Ryan Ramchek, who ended up in New Orleans and ended up being a really good first-round pick for, for the Saints. Um, but apart from that, he he showed what he was capable of there, and he can kind of do a bit of inside-out as an edge rusher. The only concern that he's he's one of those players that if, if there was sort of risk with Malik McDowell, if M- Malik McDowell just kind of had this feeling that he was going to uh something was going to happen with this guy you know and that and ultimately it did and the Seahawks rolled the dice on Malik McDowell and took him anyway then Arden Key gives off the exact same vibe so he he um started the year wondering whether or not he was going to play this season he had some personal issues that he, he kind of left the team and left the school to go and handle he then had some injury and he had to come back from that there was talk when he came back that he was overweight because he wasn't productive and he just had a 2017 to forget now you could draft him and he could end up being olden smith and you could say in two or three years time and i mean the good you know the productive sack version of olden smith and you could say it was definitely worth taking a chance on that guy that he's a top 10 talent and you got him at number 18 or, or whatever you take him but i think the last thing the seahawks need is to have arden key sat next to malik mcdowell on the sideline neither of them playing um, so that's the kind of risk reward you get with this guy. He's going to go in the first round. Um, it's just whether or not the Seahawks want to take the chance on a player who could be great, but could be a complete bust as well. You know, another guy that has, has various different opinions on, I think everyone's high on him, but I've heard Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, some people have him as a safety. Some people have him as a cornerback. Um, you've got him as a safety and you've got him going at number 16 to Baltimore. Um, you know, what's your what's your take on him and as a fit to, to, to the Seahawks? I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of, of Minka Fitzpatrick for a number of reasons. So if you watch him in – he kind of gets billed as this player who can play cornerback, can play safety, can play big nickel or whatever. Um, if you watch him when Alabama's in the red zone, he's fantastic in coverage. And they can kind of move him around. They can pair him on number one receivers in college, and, and he's very, very good in close, in close range. But – in terms of what he does as a safety on sort of a, you know the basic downs, early downs, his range is fairly limited. He's not the greatest athlete. If people, it's the only thing we have to work with right now. The combine can change things, and it may just be the uh, particularly rough day. Maybe he was ill or something. But um, a lot of these players, the big names, go to something called the Spark Combine, um, which they they do when they're in high school before they go to college, and it kind of helps them show off how athletic they are. And Minka Fitzpatrick competed in this in 2013, I think he was. And he was, he was, um, you know, the likes of Nick Chubb have gone to these things and have just tested off the chart. Like Nick Chubb, for example, is the same kind of athlete as Kristen Michael. Um, we'll see if he still is after the injury that he had, but that's the kind of player he is. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick went to this thing and did not have a particularly great uh, workout. So I think he ran in the four sixes, for example. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to do that when he gets to the combine, but that's you're not talking about a 4-3-4-4 runner. And if you're looking to use him as a free safety in Seattle scheme, for example, Earl's speed is 
a big factor in that. And I think if you've got a safety in there who's running the same time as Tedrick Thompson, you already kind of have Tedrick Thompson for that. So um, that's kind of the and, – and I think he is limited to playing safety. I don't think he's going to be a cornerback. I'm not I, – I can't say this enough that the safeties in this draft for me are, are, big, are really overrated. Minka Fitzpatrick goes in the top 10 in a lot of mocks. He's not going to – I feel quite confident in saying I don't think he's going to go in the, anywhere near the top 10, that he's going to be in the, in sort of the t- 11 to 25 kind of range. I think Derwin James is going to be a mid to late first round, not the top 10 type talent. And then the next best one's probably Ronnie Harrison is probably going to go at some point in the second round. So uh, we've got two more questions for you, and then we're going to let you go, Rob, and uh, not get any sleep. Uh, one is a uh, player close to home, a Husky, Vita Vea. Um, I've seen him as high as top 10. Uh, seeing him, you know, bottom of the first round. Personally, like, I see the strength and I see some of the his ability to anchor, but doesn't strike me as a player that's been that dynamic um, and disruptive. And and I always worry about taking a player like that in the first round. What's your take on Vita Vea? I think he's subtly amazing. So you, uh, one of the things I found is when I went to watch, I've, I've seen Washington live twice in the last two years, and. He was one of the players, and, and Buda Baker was the other one last year, who just sitting there and be able to watch them live from the back of the stadium was like, oh, wow, look, you know, he just jumped out of you immediately. And it's because there was this 325-pound monster moving around like a linebacker out there. And the game that I went to this year was Oregon, and there was one play where they, I think, kind of just dumped it off to the room back in the passing game. And he moved outside. Vita Vera was the guy who sort of split and then chased him down and brought him down for the tackle. So you said, how does a guy with that size move that well? And it's kind of the only thing I think you really appreciate when you sat on the back row of the stadium because you can kind of see this big guy moving as well as he does. And the other thing that he does is he controls the line of scrimmage. So he's not a big sat guy. He's not going to be that type of player. But I think Mike Mayock posted a video of him um, against Crosby, who's the, the Oregon left tackle. And he kind of just handles him with one arm, just kind of holds him off, shows him out the way, makes the tackle on the running back. And that, he makes so many plays like that. I think that he's going to go – I think he's a, a top 10 pick. And I think that teams are going to look at him as – someone who's going to control the line, especially three, four teams are going to really like him to anchor and do that um, with, with major potential. And I think he and there's another guy called Tim Settle from Virginia Tech, who's uh, maybe even more dynamic. I mean, he had 12 and a half tackles for a loss this year, which is, you know, for a guy who's 330 pounds, is pretty much unheard of. Deron Payne was in the uh, in the game last night, by the way, the national championship had one, ta- one tackle for a loss in 2017. Tim Settle had 12 and a half at 330 pounds. So he's another another name that I think is going to go a lot earlier than people are projecting. And um, and he and Vita Vea are just players that you can structure a 3-4 defense around. Yeah, I lied. So we're going to do two more questions. One's mine, <laughs> which is, so you mentioned the championship game. Roquan Smith was a guy that, I mean, all of us were salivating over. Um, you've got KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner. If for some reason, you know, he becomes available in your range, um, is that a guy that, that you find a way to add to the team? I, th- I think you'd have to consider it, yeah, because you could play him in any of the linebacker spots. You could play him as the Sam, and he's probably not going to be, you know, putting his hand in the ground and, and rushing the passer off the edge because he's uh, about six foot and 220 pounds. But, you know, he's somebody that you could ask to fly around, maybe just slightly play a bit more base uh, with three linebackers on the field. If you wanted to spell KJ right, you could do that and play him at the. Uh, the will position if Bobby Wagner had to miss some time for example here's the here's the great thing imagine the Rams game in, in week 15 was it um when yeah, Wagner and Wagner was yeah <laughs> so Wagner's 
playing at like 20% and Wright's not there. And then you've got, imagine in that position being able to just throw on Roquan Smith to play middle linebacker. You probably don't give up uh, whatever it was, 42 points in that game. It's probably a different contest. So it's a nice bit of insurance. He could eventually take over from KJ Wright. He could spell those two guys. You could play him at, at some, you, you would find a way to use a player like that. And that's somebody that you could build around. So yeah, I think you'd definitely consider that. I found that national championship game really weird though, because he was one of the only big name draft prospects to really, perform i mean nick chubb was stymied by alabama which wasn't a huge surprise they didn't get the ball enough to sony michelle um lorenzo carter had a quiet game um and i think really the only two big name draft prospects from that apart from deron pay maybe was isaiah win was fantastic like, isaiah win is one of my favorite draft uh, prospects in this draft he's such a good player the left tackle at georgia is going to move inside if if seahawks fans if there's one thing i can encourage seahawks fans to do um, if you like watching offensive linemen and you want to dream of having a good offensive line, go and watch Isaiah Wynn at, um, at Georgia because he's, he's going to move inside to guard. He's going to be really, really good. And the other player to play really well was Roquan Smith, who was just fantastic last night. So I think he's going to go in the top 15. Awesome. Um, I'm a Sonny Michelle guy. I like uh, or Michael or whatever his name is. I, I can't be him until I know how to pronounce his name, but I like his. I like the way he plays. So um, Colin, you are up. If you can unmute yourself, you get the last question for Rob before we let him go into the night. Appreciate it. Um, what uh, sometimes it's hard as a fan to know what the expectation should be for a team that's drafting. Like this year is really weird that we have no twos, no threes, no sixes. Like Schneider has a reputation of hitting huge sometimes in some years. I mean, it, what's unreasonable to expect from Schneider and from the team when they're drafting, especially with so few picks? I'm, I'm curious. Um, I think the, I think more than anything from this draft, they just need to get some to keep finding young talent. And the one thing they probably struggled with recently is that they've not been able to find big impact from day three. So I think I, I hope that with the picks they've currently gotten, maybe they can add to that as well, that they can get back to that because the likes of uh, Delano Hill and Tedrick Thompson and Amara Darbo didn't really offer anything. And then you can go back, you know, I like guess Chris Carson was, was a good pick there. And you go back through the years, they've not really had the, you know, who's, who's going to be the next KJ Wright? Who's going to be the next Cam? Who, you know, maybe not, maybe not quite as good as that, but, you know, who's going to come in and be able to be, a cornerstone for this team, even if they're not reaching the levels of Sherman, Cam, and stuff like that, and KJ, to, to at least be a decent, you know, get some value from that. You know, less Kevin Pierre Lewis and more KJ Wright. So that's kind of the one thing they need. I think the, the most important thing from this draft class, though, is to come out of it feeling like you've made the most of what is. And I, I know that there's the running back position is some people want to go for it, and some people just think um, this is a position you can you can fill, and it's it's not the most important come out of this draft feeling like you're happy with what you've got because this is the draft to go running back. This is going to be the best running back class in a long, long time. So feel good about the one that you've got, whether that is Ronald Jones, whether that is Sony Michelle, whether it's Nick Chubb, whether it's Damian Harris, whether it's Kerryon Johnson, whether it's Royce Freeman, whoever it is, come out with somebody that you feel like great. We've got Chris Carson. We've got this guy. Maybe we've got a free agent as well. We aren't going to have any worries about the talent we have at running. We're not going to be relying on Eddie Lacy. There's no Thomas Rawls. There's none of that nonsense this year. You know, you're going to feel good about that. Get the offensive line fixed. If that means draft picks, fine. If that means another free agent from the outside to finish it off, that's fine. If that means replacing Tom Cable, do that. Go into next year 
feeling really good and strong about the balance of your offense. Give Russell some more support, whether that's protection and a running game, and see if you can add some young talent to the defense to just keep this, this transition that they're obviously going to go through now building on. And I think there's going to be some opportunities in free agency to get some value as well. So um, a lot of, lot of good opportunities for the Seahawks, but this is, a bit, this is probably the most important offseason that, that Schneider and Carroll have had as they try and make sure that this is just a transition and not the end, you know, that this isn't 2007 Holmgren going into 2008, 2009, that it can be, you know, a reload and, and go again and, and find the next big group that's going to get this team moving forward. Great stuff, Rob. And, and thank you for, for coming on and answering all these questions. This is fantastic. Love to have you back when we get either closer to the combine or after the combine and uh, get a refresh on some of this stuff. If, uh, if we can find a, a time when you're 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 still awake, yeah, my pleasure, guys. And uh, and anytime, anytime you want. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks a bunch, Rob. Thanks, guys. Uh, so lots of great stuff there from Rob, guys. Um, it's interesting, Jeff. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure the Seahawks thought they had the running back situation in as healthy of a possible state as you know as they could last year. They. They had Thomas Rawls, who wasn't hurt last offseason. He was coming in. He should have been healthy. CJ Proceis wasn't hurt last season. He was supposed to be working, you know, building up over the offseason. They added a veteran in Eddie Lacy as insurance. They'd brought they'd gone through all the different um, free agent veteran running backs. They drafted Chris Carson. Like they had a pretty big stable of running backs, and it didn't work out. Um, you know, I I have mixed feelings about them going back and, and spending more draft capital there, given all the other issues they have, but it's a great position in this draft. So, I mean, wh wh where's your head on that? Well, there's an old saying in uh, scouting circles and usually uh, use the quarterback, but it would apply to Seahawks and running back. They, the old line is always, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. And the Seahawks had four running backs, but no great ones. That's kind of, that kind of applied there. And, the best running back was probably the guy they had the least expectations for, Chris Carson. So Alex Collins turned out to be a pretty decent player. But, yeah, the Seahawks need a guy. And that was when their offense, a go-to guy, when I say a guy, I need like a, an A-lister. That's when the Seahawks were at their best. And I don't know if they're going to keep cables yet, but this draft is the draft where you got kind of got to get a running back. I keep hearing people talk about free agent hedges. I don't really understand it, to be honest. Um, I hear like Isaiah Crowell's name or some, I saw Davis mentioned Alfred blue. I think Chris Carson and Mike Davis are as good as those guys. I don't see why you'd spend free agent capital on a hedge when you have younger guys. So I I'm happy with if they get a running back anywhere in this draft, especially one of the guys that Rob was mentioning. Cause I think they need, I, I don't know if Chris Carson's another Thomas Rawls or a stud in the making. So I, I want to see another, I know even Will and Will and I were talking weeks ago about Royce Freeman. So there's so many guys that interest me. I just want to see them go with another guy who maybe is a better prospect than some of the guys they've been rolling with. How do you guys find yeah. feel about the the Huskies running backs? Gaskin's pretty fun. Yeah. Gonna ask. <laughs> what what's your what's your take there, Will? Well, Gaskin's obviously really good. I just don't know if he's gonna come out. I think all signs kind of indicate that he's going to stick around. Hmm. What what's he projected to go? Like if if he if he declares this year, what what are we looking at round wise? 
I'm not a draft expert, so. Yeah, we just had a draft expert on. We let him go. Um, <laughs> you know, what I what I've uh, heard with Gaskin is a third round, you know, earliest um, for someone like him. I, I don't think physically. I mean, he he actually has a lot of similar statistics to Saquon Barkley, but um, as far as like physical attributes, he's just not. He's not going to spark score through the roof the way I think some of those guys will. Um, yeah, I also think Coleman's an interesting player there. He's he's a little bit more physical, but I don't know if I believe either of those guys are feature running backs that I'd really want. I'm not interested in them just drafting a running back to draft one. It's got to be someone who they think could be the the bell cow, and that's why I like Sony Michelle. That's his name. Um, everything I've seen of him, that guy is explosive. Every time he touches the ball, problem is I think he's a second round pick. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this is, I don't know about you guys, but the way I've been thinking about this a lot, and I know this is the way CX want us to think about it is look, you know, um, Dwayne Brown was our third round pick this year, you know? And if you could go into this draft, let's say they didn't have Dwayne Brown and you could say Seahawks are going to get a legitimate borderline pro bowl level left tackle with their third round pick this year. How would you feel? I think we'd all be like great um so i mean i i get that i think we have to kind of consider that but second round having that you know losing that for sheldon that one for me is a lot harder to, to stomach yeah i think i think one thing that obviously you know we kind of forget about sometimes too in draft though is you know obviously these guys are young and, and you know you have long club control with them so you know obviously we got the Dwayne brown for a for a third rounder, but I mean, what, what, how old is Dwayne? Is he 31, 32? Is that what it, is that what he is? I'll tell you in a second. I think he's 30, I think he's 32 or 33. Yeah. I, I think just one of my goals 32. for this offseason is to see a much hungrier and younger and competitive roster from top to bottom. So they can, if they can nail that in the draft, then we're in great position. So, uh, unless you guys had other stuff about the draft, um, Jeff, you know, what we want to start talking about this coaching situation because it got a whole lot, lot more depressing uh, as the show started. Yeah, we, if, you, if you heard our show last week, we spent a lot of time talking Tom Cable, Daryl Bevel, even Chris Richard a bit, and it's been really quiet on the Seahawks coaching front. A lot of teams have made moves. The Panthers today made some coaching moves right after their loss. And word starts to leak this week. I came in, I think Adam Schefter reported Sunday on Countdown that Gus Bradley was a guy the Seahawks wanted a reunion with. And Gus Bradley was their defensive coordinator from 2009 to 2012. And for a lot of reasons, he would have made sense. Maybe as an assistant head coach, Brian had mentioned that possibility. And an hour or so before our show comes out, Gus Bradley's going back to Sandy or out Los Angeles. And I know Green Bay had expressed interest. So Evan, I don't know. You look like you're a little upset by this, but how do you feel after hearing the Gus news? Are you comfortable with Richard moving forward or were you hoping to see a move there? Evan, how about we start with you? Yeah. Chris Richard, I am on the fence about um, on our, on our like top 10 priorities of like big issues. I, 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 I think if he's on the top 10, he's on the bottom side of it. Um, I'm happy. With, I'm okay with him staying. I really am. I, I know there's been like some hate thrown his way, but 
Um, not not absolutely sold that he needs to go. I think we could have better, but um, obviously the real position I'm hoping for change in is offensive line. Um, I, I think that's obviously been a real problem, and we talked about it extensively last week. But um, to answer your question, I'm actually okay with Richard staying. And, yeah, I, I mean, I'm bummed about the Gus Bradley news, but it's not the end of the world. How about you, yeah, Brian? I'm with Evan on this one. Uh, I, I also don't see him as being a big problem. I'd totally be fine with him sticking around. Um, it's just kind of like you said, uh, like I'm also kind of on the fence because there were some games where he just totally lit it up. I mean, like the two ones that stuck out to me were the Cowboys game and the Eagles game. I mean, everything he was dialing up was just awesome you know, from beginning to end. And then you had games like obviously the Rams game. Um, so it's like, you know, how much do you credit injuries? How much do you, you know, where you actually put the blame on some of those games? But I think in fairness to him, he was dealing with a pretty depleted defense all year. So I think, I don't know. I think in fairness to him, I'd, I'd, I'd rather see him stay. Yeah. Well, um, I, I really, when I heard the Gus Bradley news, that just made so much sense. And I wrote about it. Um, kind of clicked for me. I hadn't even thought that he would potentially come back here because I really thought he'd maybe get some head coaching um, uh, potential uh, interest. And I didn't see why he would maybe go back to where he already, his old stomping grounds. Um, but then it kind of made sense to me that, that look, this is a way for them to bring in a new assisting head coach. Um, Pete won't be here forever. I still think that that's going to be uh, a little cherry on top. I think that that's going to be a carrot that they dangle. I don't, I don't think that means that they're going to guarantee or have a coach in waiting, but I do think that's going to be part of how they try to attract a really great, um, you know, new coach to the staff and maybe it's defense and that's where they had some people they really felt good about. But now Vic Fangio's going back to, um, to Chicago, Mike uh, Patine, um, who former, I think Brown's coach who, uh, I didn't realize this, but had been a consultant with the Seahawks for the past year, learning the, the Seahawks defense. He got hired by the Packers as their defensive coordinator. Everybody wants the Seahawks defense. Um, so I, yeah, I'll tell you what I am relatively certain that both coordinators are going to be gone. Um, I, I, there's, there's no news to report. Um, I know that based on what we have tonight, we don't have much to go on in terms of who would be coming in, but I've just got a really strong feeling that, you know, we're going to have new coaches on both sides of the ball. Um, and so now it's just a matter of who, if, if I'm right, who that would be. And the CX got to start moving because, these guys are getting snatched up. And if they are going to move on from, from their guys, I think they owe it to those guys to get them on the market so that they can start looking at some of these roles as well. So this has already taken a little longer than I expected. Evan was asking me about this before. I really thought by the end of last week, we would have heard um, some names. Um, I'm, I still very much believe um, I, there's nothing that's changed for me about the fact that I think that we're going to see change in the coaching staff. And obviously the biggest news of the week, we were, we spent all week talking about coaching and I, I want to hit on something. It's probably the biggest story of the week and probably something to draw 
most emotion out of all of us. But the big story of the week with the Seahawks wasn't out on the coaching side at all. It was John Schneider. And uh, kind of out of nowhere last week, Ted Thompson gets removed from his job, puts in a new job. And so obviously our first instinct is, wow, we all know John Schneider. He's, he grew up in Green he grew up outside of Green Bay. He learned his ropes from Ron Wolf. We've all heard the story of him calling him nonstop, and that's how he got started. Ron Wolf's his idol. The Packers are his team. And then word comes out late in the week that the Packers put out a request for John Schneider, and he was apparently, according to, I think it was ESPN, he was the favorite of some people in the building. And word leaked pretty fast that the Seahawks blocked it, and there were some, I don't know, people love jumping on the Seahawks whenever they get a chance, but people are wondering if, they're breaking any rules of the NFL. And I personally looked into it, and it turns out the Seahawks are very much in their right to do what they did. They they were they that job is not by NFL rules of promotion. It's GM to GM. And as word has come out even more, it seems like that job has less responsibility than Schneider has at all. So I don't pro football talk, this is a theory pro football talk put out. Sometimes teams, someone like Schneider could ask. Paul Allen to block him, but he doesn't have to be the guy to say no to him and burn that fan base. I don't, I don't, I can't say if that's true. I don't have the info there, but Brian, we'll start with you. You've, you've probably have very strong opinions on John. Were you surprised that a the Seahawks didn't let him out, and b what were your thoughts when that rumor came out? Yeah, <laughs> I think the part that that. I, was I surprised that they blocked access to him? A little bit, a little bit, yeah. I mean, um, if it's true, they said there was multiple sources that said that he really was interested in returning. If that's true, that's a little surprising. Um, you know, I've I've had some, I've heard some rumors that that you know there was even some question about whether John Schneider was you know, safe in his role, um, believe it or not. And so uh, if that was true and it was true that John was interested in this other piece, I, the logic flow that I followed was it may not have been about the fact that they wanted to make sure that they kept John Schneider, but because they wanted to see if they could get leverage and, and get draft picks or something like that in return, Green Bay was like, no, <laughs> you know, like they, they weren't going to, they weren't going to give that up. And, so I'm ecstatic that he's back. I mean, I've been pretty clear about that. I think John Schneider is a lot of people talk about Scott McLuhan. John Schneider brought in Scott McLuhan, you know, that was John Schneider. Um, John Schneider has brought in the scouts that are now player personnel people all over the league. John Schneider is the guy that, you know, works tires tirelessly. I mean, he is so dedicated. I wish people could see him on the job. I mean, he's there all the time and he cares so much about rebuilding um, what this team is. The, like, If he had left, my confidence level in, in this team's ability to actually recapture the championship edge is just much lower. So personally, I'm kind of excited in some weird way, more than I've been in the past few off seasons. That's like, all right, we can let go. We know we have to go out there and get new guys, young guys, and let some of these older guys go. We're in that transition. I feel like that's John and Pete's wheelhouse. So I'm really happy to know that, that John's there. I wish he had a little bit more, more ammunition in this draft to work with. 
at the same time, I hope he doesn't trade down. So <laughs> at least in the first round. Um, oh, reason for uh, not trading down. Say that again. What are your reason? What's your reasoning uh, behind not trading down? I'm just curious. Uh, you know, a couple things. Will like one. I really believe that the the that a successful draft is not about accumulation of maximum number of picks and players. It is it is about if you can add one difference making player. That like one all pro quality, one clear pro bowl quality player. That is the thing that makes or breaks a draft. If you have one all pro that you draft versus four starters that are not pro bowl starters, I will take the one all pro draft every day, every day. Because if I've studied, you know, Super Bowl champions and all these different Super Bowl champions, and I went through and I averaged out the amount of all pros per Super Bowl champions through all these different decades. And you'd be amazed. It's really like there's, there's something to, there's a certain amount of dominant players that you need, the best players at their position that are just unblockable or, or, um, un, you know, can't be tackled or, you know, can't one of those, they just cannot be stopped. You need those players to have this dominant edge that, that somebody can't overcome. And that's what the Seahawks had on their defense. Right. Um, and then as well with Marshawn Lynch, I don't want another, you know, I don't want to call out someone like Luke Wilson, you know, like Luke Wilson's been a great role player. He's, he's on the team. He's contributed, but he's never going to be the reason the Seahawks win a Super Bowl. Um, so with all that in mind, I think the Seahawks continued focus on trading out of the first round. I think that they've really hurt themselves by doing that over the years. And I think 18 is a very high pick especially in a year with all these quarterbacks out, that really is going to end up to be the equivalent of like a top 15 pick because um, the CX don't need that quarterback. So um, if they trade back, I just hope that it's like they have exactly the guy they want. They know they're going to get him and they're getting another pick. Fine. Anything else, like stay there and pick the best possible player you can. Shifting the conversation back for seven. Evan, you're maybe the biggest John Schneider fan in the world. And you're also a massive Packers fan. So, if you want to rub it in for pa any Packers fans listening right now, here's your chance. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to say uh, sloppy second, bitches. <laughs> John Schneider. You can't have him. You can't have him. He's too good. He's too good for Green Bay. His heart is in Seattle now. His children are growing up here. You know, they're sinking roofs, bought a house, all that stuff. Seattle, he's a longtime Seattle legend. I I know nothing nothing, nothing about Green Bay. Um, but, no, I, I in short, I'm super happy that, obviously, John Schneider is staying in Seattle and not going back to that dreaded team. So um, I, I think there's a lot of, actually, credibility to that potential theory put out by Pro Football Talk that maybe he did have Paul, um, Paul Allen deny it for him. You know, maybe maybe there was some logic in trying to get some draft picks out of Green Bay. So I, I don't think that's unreasonable th to think. Um, I definitely think John was interested in the job. It's obviously been his dream job his entire life. Thank God we signed him to an extension. That's all I got to say, because I think that extension hadn't been signed. He'd probably be the general manager of the Green Bay Packers right now. So super thankful he's back. Like, like Brian said, just want to echo what Brian said. 
if Josh Schneider isn't the GM for this offseason, my confidence level in the Seahawks dips very, very sharply. Right next to Russell Wilson, John Schneider is maybe our most valuable piece, maybe tied with Pete Carroll too. But I, I seriously believe, like, in terms of valuable pieces, players, coaches, management, it's Russell Wilson and then it's John Schneider right there. He's the architect of this roster. So I, I think they have what it takes to – to not make this a rebuild, but a reload for um, for 2018. And it's interesting you said that about the, the extension because I heard John Klain say this on the radio this week, and he he mentioned that if there's anyone, if John Schneider was upset, if there's anyone to blame for it, it's himself because he had that out in his last contract. And if he really – he had to know eventually Ted Thompson was going to move on. He worked with Ted. He's known what Ted really wants to do in his life, and that's just purely be a scout. And Clayton said that on the air, said, if anyone's to blame, and I talked to an agent who used to do general manager contracts, and I asked him, mentioned what Clayton said, and he said, yeah, the same thing. If Schneider really wanted an out, he could have designed it. And that extension essentially eliminated any chance of him leaving because it gave all the power to the team. So I know there was talk like the Seahawks were being unfair to John, but he did that. If there's if he if he wanted to leave and he didn't design his contract very well, so maybe he did want to stay in Seattle this whole time. And I think it's great for everyone that he's back because, really, yeah, you guys nailed it. If there's anyone you need running to fix the personnel of this team, it's definitely not Pete Carroll at this point in his career. It's John Schneider. And one thing well, I want to jump in. Yeah, one thing I just like, John is like 45 years old. Like, he's not, John is not 75. You know what I mean? He's He was signed or extended through 2021, I believe. I mean, he might have the dream job later on in life. You, I mean, he's got time left, you know? Like, I, I think he's got another, what, 20, 20 years in the NFL, 20, 25 years. He could, he could do whatever he wants. So I think um, I'm just thankful that he's in Seattle for the near future. I got a question for you guys, random question. Uh, I don't know. Did you guys watch any of the the okay the playoff games this weekend? Yeah. And did you watch the the NCAA championship on Monday? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to give you two picks. Any player um, on any of the the playoff teams and in the in the NCAA championship, you got to pick one from the 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 playoff teams that played this weekend and one from the championship game, who would you want and why? Oh, Jeff, you start. Okay. Let's, let's go with um, the championship game. I'm going Roquan Smith from Georgia, the linebacker. I know we have Bobby Wagner. I know we have KJ Wright, but no one screams out to me as like a classic Seahawks of this generation is a guy who can run and hit like that. The Seahawks have kind of lost that. He, I, he just strikes me as a Seahawk, and they need that young speed, hungry guy like Reuben Foster kind of was watching his tape last year. To me, he more than any of those running backs in that game, he jumps off the page. And to me, that's the guy. And in the in the games, there, I could have gone a number of offensive linemen, but to me, this is completely unattainable. But Jalen Ramsey, man, he's Richard Sherman 10 years ago, or 2000. Love Richard Sherman, the way he talks, the way he acts, the way he plays. Just the Seahawks haven't lost that swagger per se, but man, when Sherman was chirping Revis those years and 
he was kind of this untouchable guy and didn't have the name value that maybe Revis had at the time. That's kind of where Ramsey is right now. He's trying to turn his team into something, and I can't wait to watch him play Antonio Brown this week. Man, Jalen Ramsey is just like he's a dog and he's hungry, and that's what the Seahawks were. If you had Ramsey and Roquan Smith, those guys just strike me as Seahawks, man. Those are two good ones. How about you, Will? So since you said Smith, because that was going to be my pick on the uh, national championship, I'm going to go with glasses kicker. Oh, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to go second just so I could say it. (laughs) But uh, taking glasses kicker for the obvious reasons. Uh, There you go. That shot, uh, you know, the end uh, and overtime. So I'm going to go with that one. And then I couldn't decide between what you guys were talking. I couldn't decide between Todd Gurley and Derrick Henry. But, God, I think I'm going to go with Derrick Henry because it was so fun to watch them dominate Kansas City in that run game. I don't know if you guys watched that game. I obviously did for – a uh, crush on Marcus Mariota, as many of you guys know. So I obviously watched that one, but uh, I think I'm going to go Derrick Henry. All right, Evan. I know nothing about college football, but since we are trading Russell Wilson, I'd go with the Bama freshman quarterback. Just kidding. Um, I know nothing about college football, so I can't I can't name any college football players. But if I had to t- if I had to go back from the playoffs, it'd either be Jalen Ramsey or Marshawn, uh, whatever his name Lattimore. is. Lattimore. Yeah, Lattimore is so so good. I might I might be more a fan of Lattimore than I am of Jalen Ram. Well, Jalen Ramsey, but I love them both. Um, it's it's got to be one of those two corners. I, I think Brian, you and I share a similar opinion that uh, we really wanted to see the LOB reloaded at the corner position this past draft, and if we could get another shutdown corner right next to um, Shaq Griffin, that would be really that'd be a really nice setup. So. I'd love to add another elite corner. Yeah, that I have to admit that stung listening to Rob say, yep, it's not a very deep corner or safety <laughs> draft. I'm like, good last year. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Um, but if I, so for me, um, uh, you know, setting aside the obvious Aaron Donald or something like that, um, uh, Alvin Kamara, he didn't even play that well necessarily, but um, I love watching that guy play. I'd love to have someone like him on the Seahawks. Uh, and then um, in the the college game, I actually would go with Tua. You know, I, I was going to say the, the the kicker for sure, but um, uh, there's a number of guys in there. I can't even remember half their names. Uh, and I definitely like the running back, um, uh, Michelle, but I was super impressed with Tua and not as like a new starter over Russell, but man, for that guy to come in, um, flat-footed at halftime, never started a game. Um, he was spinning it. I mean, it wasn't just that, you know, everything worked out for him. He was making some tough throws and beautifully thrown balls and, you know, making some good reads. That throw to win the game was ridiculous. And I don't know if you guys heard his post-game press conference, but he sounded exactly like Russell. I mean, it was like, he said nothing. It was just all like, glory to God, my teammates, my coaches. Like, he was very, like, humble and, and Russell-esque. So, um, <laughs> I think he'd be an interesting one to have. But I'm going to cheat and add one more, which is I'd love to add a guy that wasn't in that game, but uh, Shaquem Griffin. Um, uh, that's one to watch. I, the Seahawks are so impressed with how um, Jack Griffin, Shaquille, Shaquille Griffin um, performed this year and how he, you know, how he prepared himself, his work ethic. Uh, 
And I think they realize if they could get another person that's literally exactly like that, add him to the team, even if even if he's a seventh round pick or he's an undrafted free agent, because I'm not sure he's going to be drafted. I think there's some questions about that. But um, man, I could absolutely see him joining the team. I think that's a type of thing that Schneider and Carroll would do. And I would not bet against that guy. I would not bet against him. And man, it would be so fun to have identical twins uh, that are, you know, that tight on the team together. Um, that could be part of the next generation of this new Seahawks and the identity that they're building. Um, related to that, there's a question I meant to ask you guys last week that I'm curious about. So I don't know if you remember, but Carol said, we talked to our young core the way we talked to our young core a few years ago when he was talking about, and I started thinking like, who the hell is he talking about? Um, and he specifically was mentioning folks like Tedrick Thompson and Delano Hill and, did you guys pick up on that? And, you know, who do you think, you know, would you be comfortable saying, yeah, these guys are part of the young core of what's going to be the next three years for the Seahawks? Yeah, no, just following up on that, Brian, like I, I actually did catch that exact statement and I was thinking of who that young group would be. And obviously the number one player that immediately comes to mind is the Russell Wilson of the cornerback group. It's Shaq Griffin, obviously. But one player that kind of stumped me and I'm not doubting his production and I'm not doubting his talent. However, I'm kind of worried about how, how would I say this in a respectful way? Um, I guess, let me open it up. How do you guys feel about Frank Clark as a young um, kind of cornerstone of this, of this defense and of this team moving forward? Would you consider him a part of that group? Yeah, I would. Because a big part of this is obviously like leadership values, you know, all that type of stuff. Um, do you guys have any concerns about Frank Clark in that regard or no? Jeff? I don't know per se if he's the best leader. I'm not inside the building, but just from a talent and productions perspective, you got to be comfortable with Clark as a part of the core. Like if you lose Clark, if you don't think Clark's part of the core when you're going to lose Bennett and Averill and, I think you got to consider Clark part of the core. And I don't know if he's one of the voices of the team going forward, but uh, I just think talent wise and need wise, he's just kind of a no brainer. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been pretty consistent on this one, Evan. I, you don't, pass rushers do not grow on trees. Um, second most sacks of any Seahawks draft pick in his first three years, um, more than Cortez Kennedy had, um, only second to Jeff Bryant. Yeah, you know, I think I absolutely do have questions about how he's going to handle himself when he gets his second contracts. Um, we've seen that things change on second contracts, and people forget. I mean, the Seahawks won their Super Bowl with Russell Wilson on his in his second year, Richard Sherman in his third year, um, Bobby Wagner in his second year, Earl Thomas in his fourth year. I mean, they were all in their first contracts. Cam Chancellor, you know, his fourth year. Like, uh, you're looking at it now. Frank Clark's going to be heading into his fourth year, or, or whatever it's going to be. Um, you know, for, it, it's so hard to build up enough draft capital and have guys hit early enough and be good enough in their first contract. You have to have them be 
good enough in their first contract. And that's part of why all this Tom Cable stuff is so fair that all the guys, even the ones that he's worked some wonders with, taken three years to develop. And by that point, you get one year maybe of good play, and then you, you can't pay them all. So, so uh, yeah, they, they definitely got to bring in some guys. But Frank Clark's a guy I think you have to lock up and, and roll the dice with because you just don't have many other pass rushers. Uh, the, the guys that I think people aren't talking about as much that are interesting to me, and it's because I'm obsessed and we're talking in the offseason here, but I think David Moore, um, Amara Darbo, and a, a very forgotten guy, but um, Cyril Grayson um, uh, are three wide receivers who, you know, people forget uh, David Moore actually played in the last game. He got brought up. Uh, super athletic guy, draft pick from last year. I've heard good things even, you know, inside the locker room about that guy. So um, there may be some some hidden talent there that we just haven't really seen um, get opportunity yet. Again, Carson is part of that group? Say that again? You think Chris Carson is a part of that group? I do. Yeah. I, I mean, the only, the only question with Chris Carson is whether he's going to be able to stay healthy. And that's not because he's been an – injury problem he had a serious injury um he couldn't make it back fine but you know we'll see i i i, I saw everything i need to see from chris carson to be you know he could be the guy for sure and pete did an interview with uh, aaron levine this week who was actually on our show earlier this year and i don't know if you guys saw it aaron tweeted out the video it was just like a seahawks.com video or it was on his it was on a station and he mentioned more and his name darbo out of the blue when they were mentioned players are excited about it. he pointed out those two guys out of the blue unprompted mentioned naz jones who we haven't talked about yet but yeah so brian i think you're honest on because pete doesn't usually do that and the fact that he brought those two guys up unprompted i saw i thought that said a lot i see will Cedric thompson i'm not gonna let you do that quietly man you gotta come out and and have your take <laughs> Well, no, I was just trying to respond to some of the people here in the chat. But, no, I'm still really high on Cedric Thompson. I thought he was a total playmaker at Colorado, and he was part of a really good defense there under Levitt. And uh, I'm still really high on him. I think that's one of the guys that hasn't, you know, probably hasn't got enough enough opportunity yet. So I'm still kind of waiting to see on him. But he looks like a total athlete. It's a bold take. Hey. There's some Cedric Thompson haters out there. Yeah, Nathan hey, and I are, are, are not Team Tedrick. Um, <laughs> like – I was hoping to be, but I just on an NFL field when I was watching him, he just did not look like an NFL athlete. He doesn't move fast enough. Um, it's hard for me to see where where he's going to make that impact. Hopefully, I'm wrong. Um, he definitely he stuck with the team all year, so that's that's something. It's not like he's uh, Mark Legree or something like that, and and can't even make the squad. But um, you know, I, someone that Colin Lundstrom's mentioned in the chat that I also I'm super high on, and I don't think people are realizing DeAndre Elliott. Um, that guy was absolutely going to be a nickel corner last year. Um, had a bad injury. He'll be back um, now. They got Justin Coleman, so maybe they don't need him. And then we've got Deshaun Shed, who we haven't really talked about. I don't know. What do you guys think of Shed? And and do you think do you think he's just depth? Um, at that position for outside corner, or do you think he's potentially, you know, you're starting corner and you move on from forget whether Richard Sherman stays or goes like, what do you think for, for shed um, Jeff? 
I think he's just depth at this point. I think he's been one of the better stories in the program coming from an undrafted special teams guy into a corner, but I don't know if they see him as a long-term answer to pair with Griffin. I think having him as depth where he can play inside and outside is fantastic. It seems like his contract is going to toll over. So I don't know if I see him as that long-term guy beside him. I, I've heard that they're interested in bringing Maxwell back as well. And I think the team might bring Sherman back. So I think that gives you in a draft that seems to be weak at corner. I think that kind of loads you up there. And I don't know. I just don't see Shed. I think they want to go with bigger upside than Shed as that number two corner. What do you guys think? I'm actually a bigger believer than most people. I, uh, you know, obviously we didn't really see anything from him this year. He only got a few special team snaps when he came back. But I, I think you'll find – depending on how his uh, contract situation tolls out, I, I heard there was like some CBA conundrums with it to see if it tolls or not. But um, I, 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 we're not, what he had an ACL tear or was it a or what is that what the injury was? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't, ACL tears don't typically kill careers anymore. I think um, before Deshaun Shedd's injury, he was balling that year. Like he was really impressive. And I'm not willing to write off the guy yet. I think he absolutely has an opportunity to be the, the you know, one of the starters next year. Like I, I guess, I guess if Sherman's fully healthy, depending on his recovery, you, you can make an argument he might not be able to, but um, I think he's absolutely great depth. And, you know, hopefully he comes fully back because before his injury, he was looking good. Yeah. I think that's a guy that you kind of know what you get with. I don't think he's ever going to be like an elite you know, totally like wow you by doing anything, but he's definitely a guy that's going to hold his own for you. And I think he's a good piece. And I think you're going to always kind of have him at a good price. So I, I, I kind of want to keep him around. I just don't, I just don't know if he has the ball skills, right? I think that's part of, part of their defense that's kind of gone away. They don't really have guys who can take the ball away. Griffin's Griffin's. Oh, Griffin seems like he's going to be good at that. He's right. He's been written right there in a number of plays, but Shed's a solid cover guy. He does his responsibility. He does the technique well, but I think that's part of his game that's always kind of been missing. And that's not a knock on him. He's really become a good player and a guy you can count on, as Will said. But I think that's what holds me back from maybe committing as that long-term starter. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I, I like Deshaun. I, I think he's more of a depth player. I think he's going to be the veteran that they bring into camp. And um, we'll kind of see if he's if they, if they don't have someone better. He'll stick around, but I, I definitely like him better than I like Jeremy Lane, for example. I think yeah. uh, Shed is a decent starting cornerback on the outside. I think Lane is below average both inside and outside, so that one's an easy one for me. Um, I also think, I mean, Shed came into the league as a safety, so there's some potential that he has some value there still at safety and not at corner, and, and they might explore that. So, uh yeah, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll be interested to see. Uh, oh, my God. Sorry. I just saw on Twitter someone posted a picture of Mark Davis and John Gruden, their haircuts looking like Dumb and Dumber. It's, uh, uh, I had that exact thought watching that press conference today. They're, like, almost identical. That's <laughs> uh, too funny. Um, so, fellas, I only got time for another question or two. What, what, what do we want to talk about with the last couple of questions here? If you could only see one Seahawks move in this next week and it can't be firing Tom Cable, what would it be? Hmm. 
Come back to me. Let me think about that. All right, Jeff, hit me up. Brian will like this one. Quarterback coach. <laughs> you see these guys who are getting interviewed for offensive coordinator now, it's always the quarterback coach. We can debate Russell and the trade all we want. That's not freaking happening. It's a dumb idea. Put Russell in the best position to succeed. Get him a guy that's someone who's maybe not Pete's best friend and buddy. A guy who's really going to push Russell. I want to see that. I know that everyone loves Tater. I don't know if that's what you want. I want someone who's maybe going to make Russell a little uncomfortable. How about you, Will? You have to come back to me on this one, too. Right, back to Brian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I'd be most excited for, for, for Daryl Bevel to, to move on. If it's not Tom Cable, that would be that probably be the one. I was actually trying to think of someone I'd want them to bring on. Like it's it's not as much for me about anti certain people. It's more about like I want to get excited about someone else. Um, but honestly, I'm just looking forward. I am I am looking forward to getting fresh eyes in both the defensive and the offensive rooms and. I think Seahawks fans are ready for that too. Brian, your certainty gives me optimism. It's creeping into my soul very slowly. I, I just have a I, – every once in a while I get a gut feeling. I just really feel like there's just no way that Pete went on and on like he did about coaches and and being respectful of their families and all that, and, and then not to do anything. Like they're – and there's no reason that they'd have interest in Gus Bradley – and not be planning to do something. They're not going to let things get out about Chris Richard and then have him come back. Like that I don't I just don't think that's how they're going to run it. So, I think when they they've made their mind up that they want to do these things, but they're super quiet about it and I think we're going to see them make these moves. I just I hope it's this week. Yeah. I think uh I'll share my take. My my number one move for this week would not even be a firing. It would be Bring back Scotty M. Scott. Oh. That would be if, – if they brought Scotty back this week, oh, my confidence is already pretty high, but oh, my gosh, it would rise to another level. If he was back in the Seahawks org, you know, it seems like he's exercised some of his demons. Uh, I, I think he'd obviously be a great fit. Solid, dude. With that um... – we're going to hang it up for the night. Um, thank you guys. Thanks everybody for joining. Thanks for the patrons who joined and got to ask some questions of Rob Staten. Thanks Rob for joining. Rob is at, um, at Rob Staten, R-O-B-S-T-A-T-O-N on Twitter. So I definitely recommend you, you follow him there. He's also at SeahawksDraftBlog.com. So, so check him out there. I actually believe he's even got his own Patreon page. Um, that goes into his own pocket, which is fine. I respect that. The guy works all the time. People should support him for doing it. Um, and then, uh, Evan Hill, man, this is at Evan on HB on Twitter. So please make sure you follow him there. We got real Jeff Simmons, um, at real Jeff Simmons and will, are you still at rain city series? That's right. That's right. So, uh, please make sure you follow everyone there and, and subscribe to the channel. We're going to have a lot of the stuff over the off season. I would not be at all surprised if enough news happens between now and next week that we're back next week talking more. Um, I may be just talking to myself. I, I, I got a lot of energy around the Seahawks right now. So um, stay with us, um, follow us, and uh, if you can, sign up uh, to be a patron. There'll be a lot of good stuff coming up. So with that, take care, everybody. Go Hawks.